0: Oh, yeah, OK. All right. Malcolm, thank you very much. Yeah, good to see you. The last time Malcolm Turnbull spoke to Rupert Murdoch was in 2018. Malcolm, could you please introduce yourself? Malcolm Turnbull. Former Prime Minister, even, or...? Well, well what can you say? Well, well, say I'm Mal-
1: well, uh, Malcolm Turnbull. I was Prime Minister of Australia from 2015 to 2018.
0: Thank you. Sitting in his office on the 26th floor of a tower in downtown Sydney... I asked Turnbull about that last encounter. So there you are, in some ways, as Prime Minister, pleading for your job to a media mogul. Well,
1: I wouldn't put it that, I mean, uh, that's that, no. I, I think I was just pointing out to him that there was a, that his media were working with an insurgent group inside the Liberal Party to overthrow my government, and I wasn't, I, the proposition I was putting to him was that this was going to put Bill Shorten into office. So,
0: what on earth were you thinking? The phone call had been made by Turnbull just as he was about to be rolled as leader, a coup in which he believes Murdoch had a significant hand. Do you honestly think that Rupert Murdoch at that point could have called off the campaign against you? Oh, totally.
1: Absolutely. Totally. Totally. No, no question. He could have. He, If he had said, that's it, call Dutton, call Morrison, do a front page headline that says madness must stop or something like that, they would have called it off in a heartbeat.
0: Turnbull was overthrown by the far right faction of his own party. It was orchestrated by his rival and Lachlan Murdoch's close personal friend, Tony Abbott. Both Abbott and Morrison
1: brought Murdoch effectively into the government. When I say Murdoch, I mean Lachlan more so than Rupert by this stage, but but the Murdoch editors were absolutely, well, they were given access to cabinet
0: materials before the cabinet saw it. It's a very intimate relationship. To this day, Turnbull is an outspoken critic of Rupert Murdoch. Among other projects, he's leading the campaign for a royal commission investigating the Murdoch media's power in Australia. He believes Rupert's impact on the world has been disastrous. You talk about his legacy. This is not an exhaustive
1: list, but let's just pick a couple. Delayed action to address global warming. Donald Trump. Brexit. All catastrophic. Iraq. Iraq. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, it's not an exhaustive list.
0: I'm just talking about the recent hits. But his view of Rupert is interesting. It's not a picture of absolute power. As the media has fragmented, his reach has waned, and the result is almost more dangerous. His influence is now entirely on the right, and it drags countries in that direction.
1: My judgement is that the influence of the Murdoch media on the electorate at large has diminished as their audiences have diminished. Its influence on the right wing of politics has massively increased, however. So there's a, almost a process of distillation. And polarisation. And polarisation, yeah. Murdoch is not, Rupert Murdoch at least, is not an ideological warrior. But my observation about Murdoch is that he loves power. He loves it for its own sake. And saying to Rupert Murdoch, why do you want to be powerful? is like saying to someone, why do you like sex? You know, they'd love it.
0: I'm Paddy Manning, and I've spent months looking at the life and legacy of Australia's most powerful man, Rupert Murdoch. In the time I've been working on this series, Rupert has finally retired and named his successor, his son, Lachlan. Even after writing Lachlan's biography, I'm not sure I ever really believed it would happen. I want to know what might change now that Lachlan is in charge. Can the old man really step back and let his son lead? Can Lachlan influence politics the way his father did? I also wanna know what the Trump years tell us about the Murdochs. What does Rupert's last great scandal, the big lie and the Dominion case, tell us about how he runs his businesses? And the big question at the end of it all, what drove Rupert Murdoch to become the most dangerous man in the world, only to hand it all over in a single announcement? From Schwartz Media and 7am, this is Rupert, The Last Mogul. Episode 6, There's Only One Rupert. When I got the news that Rupert was stepping down in September 2023, one of the first people I spoke to was David Falkenflick. Let's see how this is doing. Here we go. Now I'll just I'll just start to I'll get the ball rolling. David and I have known each other a while, both reporting on the Murdochs from opposite sides of the globe. He's the media correspondent for National Public Radio, based in New York, and he wrote the book Murdoch's World. I wanted to speak to David about Rupert's legacy, which has been marked in recent years by a pile-up of scandals and controversies. But this year has in many ways been the most tumultuous of all. Oh, what a year. He
2: plunged into an engagement. He wrestled with and confronted uh, lawyers' intent on not only holding Fox News to account for the Distribution of slanderous claims about a voting technology company and the questions of fraud in the 2020 election, but also intent on uh, revealing that to the world, uh, the way in which uh, not only Fox had operated, but Murdoch himself had operated. The marriage fell apart, and he stepped down in anticipation of hoping to give his son a nudge forward toward being able to have control of this empire for this newest generation. The last or penultimate move he had to play to try to resolve this knotty question of how both to continue a corporate legacy and to ensure somebody he wanted would be at the top.
0: What did the Dominion case specifically tell us uh, in your mind about Rupert and about how Rupert and Lachlan are shaping what goes to air on Fox?
2: I think this trial made concrete. The evidence released to the public made concrete what a handful of us have been reporting all along. Uh, This is a business enterprise by somebody who does love news and does love the game. But ultimately, all of it is sort of congruent and flowing in the direction of him sustaining his businesses.
0: And it is 7 o'clock on the East Coast, which means polls have just closed in half a dozen states. The most closely watched state at this hour
2: is Georgia, which President Trump... In the fall of 2020, Fox News on election night called the key swing state of Arizona for Joe Biden before any other major television network did. This was not something that Republican voters wanted to hear. This was especially not something that Fox viewers wanted to hear. Pushback is a very light word to use. Uh, The Trump campaign is, uh, how shall I put this, livid about the fact that Arizona was called. So what you saw in the days and weeks that ensued was a number of major figures on Fox News, and Dominion Voting Systems really uh, zeroed in on four of them, embracing absolutely crazed conspiracies without any grounding foundation or evidence whatsoever that Donald Trump was cheated. Trump allied lawyer Sidney Powell appeared on Fox News host Maria Bartiromo's show. Now, the women discussed conspiracy theories that Dominion voting software altered the outcome of the 2020 election. For weeks then, afterwards, Fox News hosts and guests amplified these conspiracies on the network's channels. And behind the scenes, what the evidence showed was that the executives knew exactly what was happening. And Murdoch was saying, ultimately, I accept the judgment of my executives that we need to do this to keep faith with our viewers as a business proposition and to fulfill the promise of the brand. And so you have them essentially saying uh, it's more important for us to give them false hope in a way that helps to fuel the rage and sentiment that led to the January 6th you know, insurrection at Capitol Hill, whether or not it's a cause of it, it helped to animate that
0: and rupert himself he didn't believe it the big lie for a second what do you think it revealed about how rupert thought of of trump and the election result
2: i think in this instance fundamental to american democracy he thought it was more important to maintain fox's unprecedented profit levels for cable news for television news than to level with his audience and tell it the truth. He knew that this election had been lost by Trump. He never particularly had great respect for Trump. He had contempt for him, but thought he was a partner with whom he could do business. And time after time during that Trump term in office, Murdoch's business stances and corporate interests received benefits by virtue of the completely transactional alliance that he forged. He had always wanted sort of a bat phone in the White House with Donald Trump. He got it. And that was a deal he was willing to strike. Do you think,
0: given everything that's happened in the last few years, that we are seeing a kind of fall of Rupert Murdoch?
2: You know, it's hard to argue at the moment to look at his holdings and look at all he's done and say he's collapsed. He's no longer important. He's a minor figure. He is at least publicly acknowledging essentially the laws of physics. That is that he's in his 90s. And the idea that he could really run this company or has been fully running this company, isn't the case. But I think that there is a real risk for Rupert that once he's gone, things fall apart. And what Rupert is right now trying to do is give Lachlan the chance to bind it together. You said there's a chance things fall apart. What, what do you mean? Um, when Murdoch slips these surly bonds, right, when he's no longer in the picture, James Murdoch is in a position to decide if he wants to pose a challenge to Lachlan and say, look, there's another path here, and we can still make money, but Fox needs to be more like Sky, or at least Sky UK, a more responsible, a more news-driven outlet, or whether it's just time to bust up the party and sell it off for parts and allow everybody to walk away a lot richer than they walked in. And for Lachlan, that's a net minus because he is, of course, making the most of anyone and gets to run this thing that said, it's never seemed to me that Lachlan took incredible joy from corporate leadership. All of this is to say that it's a little hard to make the affirmative case that this is a careful steward of the company's best interests who would get this job were his last name, not Murdoch. Does it
0: look like an end to you, stepping off the boards and handing over to Lachlan, you know, with a very uncertain kind of
2: future? It feels like the beginning of the end. It feels like it's the beginning of the end of this incredible era in media so intently defined in many quarters by Rupert Murdoch. I still think he'll play roughly the same role that he has played before his health allowing in the sense that you know whenever Rupert Murdoch wants to weigh in they're going to listen. He's happy for his son to go out there and brief investors and give the talks and and you know talk to analysts and all the rest. But He doesn't really want to relinquish power, I think, is the real thing.
0: After the break, what really drives Rupert Murdoch? And how will he be remembered?
2: The Saturday paper's food editors are some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell... Otama Carey, David Moyle, and Karen Martini. Let them guide your cooking when you sign up to Schwartz Media's free weekly newsletter, The Food. It features the latest recipe from the Saturday Paper, along with a selection of seasonal dishes suitable for all cooks.
0: Subscribe today at thesaturdaypapercomau newsletters. So David, if we can just step back a bit and look at Rupert's whole career. We've been trying to ask what drives Rupert Murdoch. What do you think, David? I
2: think it's all about building the business, about having a footprint. And the business allows you to do journalism. And much of his interest in journalism is the fun and zest and zeal of it, to which I say, that's awesome. Much of it is about the gossip of it, who's up, who's down, the politics of journalism, and then the politics of politics and the journalism of politics. And it's all this great heady stew. Much of it involves, gives him a place at the table to influence what's happening. And those decisions allow him to drive his business interests. He gets the Brits to decide whether to give him full control of Sky. Uh, He gets the Americans to try to interfere in the sale of Time Warner and CNN, Arrival. It gives him purchase, not only for his political interests, not only to promote what policies he might have in the given moment, but also to make sure that they feel beholden to him. They call that kissing the ring in News Corp. You have to not only show up and meet with Murdoch, you have to fly to show that you're willing to do it. You have to show him. And by the way, Murdoch owns homes in London, but Tony Blair flew to Hayman Island off the coast of Australia to show his deference two years ahead of his run to lead labor into power in 97. You had uh, David Cameron uh, intending to run for prime minister on the conservative ticket in Britain, flying in Murdoch's then son-in-law's jet to a Greek island where he met with Murdoch in a yacht there. Not that he couldn't have taken a cab across town in London, you know, 20 minutes to meet with him, but he needed to show that he was doing this in Murdoch's setting and at Murdoch's time and place. I think that the ideology helped build the business up. The politics helped further and propel the business. So it's this virtuous, from his standing, circle of ideology and political positions helping him to further his business interests through government means.
0: One of the takes we have been given is that Rupert is driven by a deep anger that he was never given the acceptance from the political establishment that his father, Sir Keith, had had in his lifetime. So he always viewed himself as an outsider, whether it was in Australia, Britain, or the United States. Does that ring true to you? I
2: think that there are multiple truths happening when it comes to Murdoch and his relationship with the establishment. I mean, Murdoch was the son of perhaps the best known political journalist in his country. He he grew up essentially you know, like landed gentry, very prominent and wealthy family. Of the establishment, but against the establishment. Of the establishment, but dispositionally against the establishment. Because of the base that he built over time in Australia and then in Britain and then in the U.S., much of the establishment migrated over toward him. And he still came off as a guy that against the establishment. Well, I'm the guy tearing things up. Well, I'm the guy who's screwing the toffs, you know, and 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 taking it to them. But he also had the ear of Ronald Reagan, and he had particularly the ear of Margaret Thatcher. He was treated contemptuously, I would argue, by the British establishment above all. He did feel that the Australian establishment screwed his father by not letting him hold on to multiple titles in the media company for which he was a senior executive. And he used that to kind of foster his, his belief that he could pretty much browbeat, bully, and bulldoze competitors and other threats that he saw in his way. And he
0: did it. I want to put another view to you, which was actually comes from his mother, Dame Elizabeth. She said that Rupert wasn't motivated by power or money, least of all money, in fact, she said, but he did like to set himself challenges. It was the challenge to his own capacity. And that that's what kind of drove him. Yeah,
2: I actually think those are contiguous uh, things. I think that Uh, Dame Elizabeth seems to, in some ways, be the toughest-minded one of the bunch. And I don't think it is contradictory to say that Murdoch was driven by business more than politics and say that he was, you know, testing himself against the challenges, the barriers, the opposition, and always thinking of it in those terms. He's been restless Uh, He just, you know, he doesn't like sitting still. He's like, all right, what do we have next? What can we do? What great deal is there to strike? You know, sometimes he sells, as we saw in the huge fire sale to Disney that ended up being an extraordinary stroke of timing for the Murdochs, given what's happened in the streaming world in Hollywood. Uh, But, you know, he's always wanted to add. He's always wanted to have a national newspaper in all these countries. Finally, 2007, he's able to pull off a big deal for the Wall Street Journal. How does he do it? By wildly overpaying. But- He's made a lot of incredible bets, too. He was told that it was impossible to create a fourth television network in the United States. And it proved a genius stroke. And, you know, we have him to thank for the survival of The Simpsons. And that is a great gift to the world. You know, so uh, there there are things there. He says people say it can't be done. I'm going to do it because I can taste it and I want it. And that is a question of driving up his profits, but it's also a question of him just being sort of ceaselessly, restlessly hungry for more. You say restless. He also has had to be ruthless. Do you think
0: that is a distinguishing characteristic for Murdoch, say, compared to other media proprietors?
2: I mean, you know, to break up with a spouse by email, you know, it's pretty rough. To have your lawyers uh, leak things about your assignations or your, your 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 fancies to the press, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, to basically tell your children separately, you're the one, you're going to succeed me, and then basically make clear they're not, or not consider them at all because they're women. That's pretty rough. You Use the word ruthlessness. The kind of emotional indifference involved in pitting his sons against each other to the point where, while they may have some notional sense of love for each other, they don't talk or care about each other. I mean, the siblings do care about each other, but they don't have the ability to support one another in a meaningful way uh, because of the way in which he's pitted them against each other. In a way, it's all
0: about the family business, the succession, the way it's discussed is his desire for one of his kids to take over. But he's destroyed the family in the
2: process. By any conventional understanding of family, you know, all families have their own dysfunctions and unhappinesses and complications. But his actions have repeatedly imposed and inflicted that upon these folks. They, you know, turn inward. James and Lachlan both, by all accounts, have very loving families and take great pride and pleasure in them, which is to be commended. But the inability of them to serve to sustain and be sounding boards and other things, particularly at a time of their father's age and decline. You know, they come together when they're worried about another wife. But that's a different issue than being there for one another. Do you think
0: Rupert spends time worrying about that? Do you think he reflects on what his ambition has done to his family?
2: Uh, I think Murdoch, you know, is is a figure instinctually disinclined for self-examination. And in the absence of that, does what he thinks right in the moment without looking back. You know, the constant metaphor that I've heard from various Murdoch lieutenants who have served him at different times is, you know, he wants to put this in the rearview mirror. But in reality, he doesn't want to look in the rearview mirror. He doesn't want to see what's on the road behind him, what happened. He wants to just look forward. Back in the uh, early 2000s, Rupert said he
0: wanted to be remembered for doing good in at least a few areas. Do you think he's done that?
2: How do you think Rupert will be remembered? I mean, I think he was a steward of a lot of very important media outlets, Uh, If you look at uh, the Times of London and the Times Literary Supplement, those were outfits that for many years lost money. And they're terrific publications in different ways. And he kept them aloft because he wanted to have a place at the table of elites that forcing a kind of respect. It's the same thing for The Wall Street Journal. So, yes, I think there's some incredible stuff that was done. And I think it is important for there to be a place for conservatives Or people who have populist outlooks to feel like their voices are heard but I think it has to be done with intellectual honesty and I think ultimately in the places that were his real financial drivers that was not the priority do you think we'll ever see the likes of Rupert again I think it'll rhyme but I don't think we'll see the same I don't think you're gonna see the same kind of figure in what we think of as conventional and traditional media I think that uh, he is such a distinctive figure, um, at once rough-hewn and sophisticated about power, a real hunger for a global presence and recognition, a real drive from a root of perceived grievance and disrespect that he wanted to surmount and he wanted to rub the faces of those elites in in the ground to show his dominance. I don't think we're likely to see anything like that anytime soon. David, thanks so much for talking with
0: us. You bet. Do you you want some more? Oh no, sorry. Okay. Um, I don't think so, you had
1: any. I think mean, you've been tealess. Actually, oh, you didn't get any. Oh, tealess. It's green tea. Oh, yeah. it's, not a, it's not going to give you a.
0: Buzz. Sitting in Malcolm Turnbull's office at the end of making the series, I was able to ask the former Prime Minister what he thought of Lachlan. I knew they'd been friends in the 90s when Turnbull was an investment banker and Lachlan was proving himself in Rupert's Australian newspapers. Um, can I just fast forward? What dealings have you had with Lachlan? I actually saw quite a lot
1: of Lachlan when he first came out to Australia to work. In fact, we used to go kayaking on the harbour together. He had a surf ski and I I had, as I still do, a sea kayak. And, you know, we would would paddle out to south head and back. I I got on well with him. I guess when, when I was in politics, I saw him less often. You know, my assessment of Lachlan is that he is more... Ideological than his father. I mean, I think Rupert's more interested in power for its own sake. Uh, Lachlan, I'm sure, enjoys that as well, but um, but also has a more of a more of a right wing agenda.
0: I asked Malcolm Turnbull what he thinks will happen under Lachlan if the heir has what it takes to keep the empire together without Rupert.
1: Well, Rupert will die. I mean, I, I know. I know this is a shocking statement, but he's not immortal. He may well live for many more years. His mother lived to went well past a hundred, as we know. The answer to that is I don't know. Growing up in the in the shadow of someone like Rupert Murdoch would be difficult in some respects. I don't think you know. He doesn't have the the standing, the credibility of his father, but how could he, you know? That's something he'll have to tackle when his father passes away.
0: Making this series, I've tried everything to understand what drives Rupert Murdoch. He's a man not prone to introspection, a journalist and a businessman, he's all movement and action. When I was researching his marriage to Anna Murdoch, the marriage that produced his heirs, I decided to read her novel, Family Business, which she wrote in the 80s. In the novel, her main character struggles with a choice, love or business. She's on a train as this question swirls in her head and the movement of the carriage eventually rewrites the phrase. She finds herself saying over and over, love of business. Love of business. It's hard not to see Rupert in this formulation. Anna knew the choice her husband was facing and what decision he would make. Business would consume him. He would choose it above all else. There's no need to distinguish between money and power. Business, his love of business, gave him both. The Rupert I found as I made this series was mercurial, terrifying, restless and ruthless. On some measures, he was inspiring. On others, the choices he was willing to make were appalling. He will go further than anyone. Where his sons, especially James, seem to have a limit, for Rupert, there is no line that remains uncrossable. Perhaps this is part of his success. Certainly, he's experienced a longevity unheard of anywhere else in the political classes. Most politicians can hope to lead for half a decade. Rupert has retained his power for half a century. But for someone who considers themselves a journalist, there couldn't be anything worse than publishing a lie. Rupert Murdoch has done that over and over in his career. Dominion is just the latest example although it shows how, if it comes to the crunch, he will undermine democracy itself. Beyond that, there are lies that delay action on climate change, lies that encourage nations to go to war. This will be an undeniable part of the Murdoch legacy. At the end of it all, Rupert is interested primarily in Rupert. He has bent the world to his will. He has trampled world leaders and divided his own children. Rupert was unique in his capacity to build media empires. It's unlikely anyone else will be able to do it again. Perhaps the world will be better for it.
2: As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post. A free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
0: Rupert The Last Mogul was hosted by me, Paddy Manning. Our supervising producer is Shane Anderson. Mixing, compositions and additional production by Zoltan Fetcho our executive producer is Sarah McVee. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief This series has been a production of Schwartz Media and 7am Thanks for listening
1: Can I just make this, this this is a big point, a big thing to bear in mind. Rupert despised Trump, so why did he back him? Ultimately. He backed him because he thought he would win. You all saw everyone saw it in that event on the USS Intrepid, which you know was an Australian-American Association event. Thank you, Thank
2: Thank you so, so much. much. Great, uh, Thank you to my
0: very good friend Rupert. He got up and said, "There's only one Rupert." There's only one. There's only one Rupert. You know, Murdoch. There's, there's only,
2: only one Rupert.
1: That we know. Trump laid it on with a trowel, several, you know, a trowel and a, you know, I don't know, a, a, a large mechanical road making machine. It was. He couldn't, couldn't have, couldn't have put on more flattery. You know, I think it was what Disraeli said. Um, the flatterer is seldom interrupted, but with royalty, lay it on with a trail. Well, he definitely laid it on with
2: a trail for Rupert.